0: Thank all of you for joining us today at the Deleuze and Guattari Quarantine Collective and our ongoing reading of Anti-Oedipus. Today we'll be diving into Chapter 3, Section 1, The Inscribing Socius, as we move out of the familialism in the history of psychoanalysis, and now into something much different, the sort of story of how social repression has come to be, and the mediums of that repression, the operations of that repression through time, and how they've shifted. Uh, It's a really amazing chapter. This is where we start getting into and dissecting not only uh, Oedipus, which is, you know, the focus of the book, but also capital, capitalism, uh, despotism, how these things have worked and how they've come. Because genealogy, uh, in the way that they're talking about here and the way they're going to be talking about through this, is not a slow set of transitions as we make our way from one to another, but instead... Uh, Talking through the actual apparatus at work, how it takes from previous apparatuses to create new ones uh, that serve itself. And the first of these is going to be very important to talk through, which is the Inscribing Socius, which is our discussion today. It's going to be really exciting. Um, If uh, anyone has questions, comments, anything as we go through, there's not a lot of us today, so you have a lot more freedom to sort of dive in and do whatever. Um, let me know. Um, right, so let's start. Uh, Savages, Barbarians, and Civilized Men, translated by Robert Hurley, Marxine. Section 1, The Inscribing Socius. If the universal comes at the end, the body without organs and desiring production, under the conditions determined by an apparently victorious capitalism, where do we find enough innocence for generating universal history? Desiring production also exists from the beginning. There is desiring production from the moment there is social production and reproduction. Stream the PDF, sorry. But, in a very precise sense, it is true that pre-capitalist social machines are inherent in desire. They code it. They code the flows of desire. To code desire and the fear, the anguish of decoded flows, is the business of the socius. As we, shall sh- as we shall see, capitalism is the only social machine that is constructed on the basis of decoded flows, substituting for intrinsic codes an axiomatic of abstract quantities in the form of money. Capitalism, therefore, liberates the flows of desire, but under the social conditions that define its limit and the possibility of its own dissolution so that it is constantly opposing with all its exasperated strength the movement that drives it towards this limit. At capitalism's limit, the deterritorialized territorialized socius gives way to the body without organs, and the decoded flows throw themselves into desiring production. Hence, it is correct to retrospectively understand all history in the light of capitalism, provided that the rules formulated by Marx are followed exactly. There's a lot said I like in this
1: because he just like straight up admits we're about to do a universal history, and he's like, "Fuck you, we're doing universal history,"
0: straight straight up, not even fucking around slightly, straight to the point. Um, and uh, the very specific language they use around a universal history, I like very much as well. Uh, yes, Boesgaard with Marxist. Uh, exactitude, the formulations of Marx, exactly, but the way that they describe the way desires utilized, how capitalism utilizes it. This is, uh, as I've said very often in a lot of these paragraphs, they're so very well written at the beginning of these chapters, you can see in them a summary of essentially the entire chapter, and this is no exception for that.
1: Uh, I just kind of want to plug my saturday project where we talk about uh Taoism every saturday at 7 p.m pacific time and uh this reminds me a little bit of that right so we're talking about uh capitalism is liberates the flows of desires it's the it's the only machine constructed on the basis of decoded flows but uh within sort of like uh like Taoist or uh any sort of yi ching descended thought there's this idea called wu Ming, which is like uh an unprincipled and unaxiomatic knowing of things. Or sorry, uh Wu Ji rather. Uh, wu Ji is the unprincipled and unaxiomatic knowing of things where like uh if you come at something with like preferences or preformed laws or axioms of how it's supposed to interact, then like that's going to be your whole interaction with it and you're going to to be, like, not seeing other possibilities, or, uh, anyway, we talk about these different Wu forms within Taoism, Wu Wei, Wu ji throughout uh, the Saturday groups, so if you're interested in sort of, like, the interbeing of things, and maybe, like, a different way of looking at things, as opposed to approaching things with a teleological structure or axiomatic codes, then, uh, come check us out Saturday nights. It's a good group, I'm a, I'm a fan myself. Um, But
0: uh, again, love this first paragraph. Going to head into the second paragraph pretty much straight away because we immediately start talking through all of this. So uh, if you at any point have a question, anything, type it in the chat, raise your hand, whatever it is. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Ben. First of all, universal history is the history of contingencies and not the history of necessity ruptures and limits, and not continuity, for great accidents were necessary and amazing encounters that could have happened elsewhere, or before, or might never have happened, in order for the flows to escape coding and escaping, to nonetheless fashion a new machine bearing the determinations of the capitalist socius. Thus, the encounter between private property and commodity production, which presents itself, however, as two quite distinct forms of decoding, by privatization by abstraction, or from the viewpoint of private property itself, the encounter between flows of convertible wealth owned by capitalists and a flow of workers possessing nothing more than their labor capacity. Here again, two distinct forms of deterritorialization. In a sense, capitalism has haunted all forms of society, but it haunts them as their terrifying nightmare. It is the dread they feel of a flow that would elude their codes, Then again, if we say that capitalism determines the conditions and the possibility of a universal history, this is true only insofar as capitalism has to deal essentially with its own limit, its own destruction, as Marx says, insofar as it is capable of self-criticism, at least to a certain point, the point where the limit appears in the very movement that counteracts the tendency. In a word, universal history is not only retrospective, it is also contingent, singular, ironic, and critical. So, <laughs> like it said, very, very, very quickly. Uh, the, the, the big point here is the generalized genealogical analysis that we're going to be undertaking of universal history, of the way things have worked. As I said very quickly earlier, is not necessarily about a very smooth, here are the lines and here are the points and here's how it goes but instead a uh, very specific understanding of the contingent events that have shaped it the way things have changed the breaks in all of it that have shaped it and how this has worked and how the pieces or the way that social organization has happened uh, before being broken and then reshaped into new forms to suit its own purpose uh, they talk very cleanly here about capitalism itself being the specter which I really like the idea of capitalism being the specter that haunts haunts everything. I like the wording at least. But the idea that the, uh, the capitalism has been sitting there and waiting is, to them, uh, the way that flows have operated, the way that flows have worked in time, has been essentially to sort of stave off capital. That there is this thing haunting. And the examples they give are how labors and flows and and the the ways that uh, private property has operated uh, is contingent upon various things that have happened, but there's an almost feeling of inevitability that we've gotten to this point, and I, I adore it. Uh, Bostgard says, I love this passage coming from a formal economic background since it makes capitalism seem about as ad hoc as it always looks once you look at it face-to-face as opposed to through the aperture of a graph or a trend line. Yes, it's a it's It's all the broken pieces of all of the parts that have come before that have sort of survived and it's not great, <laughs> I guess the pieces of all of the parts that have died before it. Um, I'm a big fan. I love this I love this section so much. Uh, any questions on this, any comments, anything on this paragraph or the previous one? gonna hang out for a second. I'll happily wait. It's fine, though. not gonna force anyone to have questions. All right. We'll head on to the next. Um, It is worth reading, actually. Um, Maurice Cadelier's comments here, which is the footnote uh, from the previous line about uh, uh, Marx, the point where the limit appears in the very movement that counteracts the tendency. The footnote says, uh, The West's line of development... Far from being universal, because it will recur everywhere, appears universal, because it recurs nowhere else. It is typical, therefore, because, in its singular progress, it has obtained a universal result. It has furnished a practical base, industrial economy, and a theoretical conception, socialism, that permit it to leave behind and to cause all other societies to leave behind the most ancient and most recent forms of exploitation of man by man. The authentic universality of the West's line of development lies, therefore, in its singularity, in its difference, not in its resemblance to the other lines of evolution. To say again, I love it. In a word, universal history is not only retrospective, it is contingent, singular, ironic, and critical. Such a good section. This gets so much more fun. The the Freud stuff breaks my brain as we do it, so I'm a big fan of this stuff. The Earth is the primitive, savage unity of desire and production. For the Earth is not merely the multiple and divided object of labor. It is also the unique, indivisible entity, the full body that falls back on the forces of production and appropriates them for its own as the natural or divine production. While the ground can be the productive element and the result of appropriation, the earth is the great, unengendered stasis, the element superior to production that conditions the common appropriation and utilization of the ground. It is the surface on which the whole process of production is inscribed, on which the forces and means of labor are recorded, and the agents and the products distributed. It appears here as the quasi-cause of production and the object of desire. It is on the earth that desire becomes bound to its own repression. The territorial machine is therefore the first form of socius, the machine of primitive inscription, the mega-machine that covers a social field. It is not to be confused with technical machines, In its simplest so-called manual forms, the technical machine already implies an acting, a transmitting, or even a driving element that is non-human and that extends man's strength and allows for a certain disengagement from it. The social machine, in contrast, has men for its parts, even if we view them with their machines and integrate them, internalize them in an institutional model at every stage of action, transmission, and motricity. Hence, The social machine fashions a memory without which there would be no synergy of man and his technical machines. The latter do not, in fact, contain the conditions for the reproductions of the process. They point to the social machines that condition and organize them, but also limit and inhibit their development. It will be necessary to await capitalism to find a semi-autonomous organization of technical production that tends to appropriate memory and reproduction, and thereby modifies the forms of exploitation of man. But, as a matter of fact, this organization presupposes a dismantling of the great social machines that preceded it. Diving straight into the the first socius. But the socius in general, and this is one that is important for us to make sure everyone grasps, uh, the distinction here between uh, social machine and technical machine is very, very, very important. Uh, it's commonly confused. I've seen it quite a few times where people talk about computers as social machines. They're not. They're technical. Um, they may technical machines are the the loom, the automated loom, or the factory floor, the robots. Technical machines that may have a human as part of the process, but it is not as necessary. The social machine has been for its very parts. This is the difference of a social machine and a socius. It is how. The, if there is a such thing as the apparatus of society works, uh, the, the way that we operate inside of a state, inside of a place, inside of a social group, the machine that that is, is the social machine. Now, technical machines can be part of this. They generally are, I would assume, mostly are uh, all the time. But the social machine, yes, Michael, it's, it's how we interact with each other, but it's a bit more than that. It is the assumptions around what drives us to interact with each other. Again, man being the parts of it all, the machine of the primitive inscription here, the mega machine that entirely covers the social field. And the social field is not just how I deal with my friends. It is how I find myself in society, how I choose what I'm going to do with my life, how I'm going to fit into the space at large. Society as a machine, the social machine, the socius uh, at large. Uh, This is a significant concept inside of Deleuze and Guattari's work uh, uh, at a big level, but the distinction is one that uh, does get a little bit lost uh, very often. They're very clear about it here. Um, so it's not often I get to say this is what they meant, but they, they're pretty clear about it here. The the other part that is important, and a way to, dis- to distinguish them, is that uh, a social machine uh, contains the uh, conditions for the reproduction of their process. Now, that's not to say a machine that makes makes machines becomes a social machine. No, it's it's not just literal reproduction. It's the reproduction of the process that enabled it to be created in the first place. Uh, social, social machine like Facebook would actually be a pretty fucking good example of a social machine. Uh, sort of par excellence. Uh, it contains... Not necessarily at a technical level. Lots of technical machines, sure. Lots of people, sure. The entire apparatus that basically causes itself to continue to be created and uh, creates incentives for people to continue to create more within it and to build it out is the nature of a social machine versus a technical machine. That's a, a significant distinction as well. Uh, so like Facebook the code, technical machine. Facebook the social experience is a social machine. A little bit of a that's, how, that's my interpretation of it. If it, Feel free to disagree, but that's my interpretation of the sort of nuanced line between the two. Also, Mike's fully open if anyone wants to discuss or comment vocally. It's fine. One of the lines in here that's great, uh, again, to go back to the idea of how they're doing a universal history, is it says, It will be necessary to await capitalism to find a semi-autonomous organization of technical production that tends to appropriate memory and reproduction and thereby modifies the forms of the exploitation of man the the semi-autonomous organization of technical production isn't a thing that exists it's generally especially in the very early and they will get through this in the rest of this entire chapter we'll get through this almost in excruciating detail but uh, the classic way social machines have worked is not by directly having the machine that finds new ways to exploit man by its nature that's something that's very unique to capital. It takes us to get to capitalism to find this sort of automated, me- you know, uh, oppression machine, essentially. Whereas prior to that, it very much was sort of ingrained in the acts of people, and people had to do such a thing, and there were, you know, choices and things with it. Uh, Bo adds as social machines are also not necessarily human. Stories of families of wolves adopting techniques and then fall out of use across the species once a family dies off yes there's uh i don't i think there's examples of that i think deleuze uh generally um gen- deleuze hates animals <laughs> i think uh some of the ways he talks about it um but i don't think they, he doesn't believe they have a bwo for example stuff like that um which could be fair but yeah social machines are about the sort of meta the meta game the example i've always used for socius of uh and BWO with like a video game like Dota, for example. I'm a big Dota player, but pick a video game, Counter-Strike, whatever it is, uh, Fortnite, anything. At any time when you're playing the game, there is a meta game, and people refer to it as the meta. The way the meta works is people, based on the law of large numbers, know the best way to play, the best hero to choose, how to play that hero, the things to do with that hero, uh, have abilities or weapons, which are the best, all of these things become assumed they're the meta this is the social machine of that game this is the nature of it there's there's a lot of technical aspects in it but they didn't program into the game this is the best character this is the the social byproduct the meta game that sort of comes with the entire thing we have this in capital pretty significantly as well uh, and it's very unique there Um, to get into the next one actually that talks about the technical and social um, I'll wait for Jason's question real quick. Started watching his ABCDs. I think he said only animals he liked are ticks and lice. Yeah, uh, he he's not a he's not an animal fan. Yeah, hates barks. Uh, so he's he's something else. Uh, the same machine can be both technical and social, but only when viewed from different perspectives. For example, the clock as a technical machine for measuring uniform time, and as a social machine for reproducing canonic hours and for assuring order in the city. When Lewis Mumford coins the word mega-machine to designate the social machine as a collective entity, he is literally correct, although he limits its application to the barbaric despotic institution. If More or less in agreement with Rouleau's classic definition, one can consider the machine to be the combination of solid elements, each having its specialized function and operation under human control in order to transmit a movement and perform a task. Then the human machine was indeed a true machine. The social machine is literally a machine, irrespective of any metaphor, inasmuch as it exhibits an immobile motor and undertakes a variety of inventions. Flows are set apart, elements are detached from a chain, and portions of the tasks to be performed are distributed. Coding the flows implies all these operations. This is the social machine's supreme task, inasmuch as the apportioning of production corresponds to extractions from the chain, resulting in a residual share for each member in a global system of desire and destiny that organizes the productions of production, the productions of recording, and the productions of consumption. Flows of women and children, flows of herds and seed. Sperm flows, flows of shit, menstrual flows. Nothing must escape coding. The primitive territorial machine with its immobile motor, the Earth, is already a social machine, a mega-machine that codes the lows of production, flows and means of production, of producers, consumers, the full body of the goddess. Earth gathers itself. Earth gathers to itself the, cultiv- the cultivatable species, agricultural implements, and the human organs. I think just the same point. Uh, Talking a little bit more specifically, uh, like my example of Facebook, the code, and Facebook, the social machine. Uh, Here, they're talking about the clock, with the clock being, it's a literal machine. I can take it apart. It's really fun to do, by the way. And if you haven't watched how luxury watches are made, it's crazy. They're literal machines. However, there's a lot of other parts to it when you look at it from the other direction of, Uh, One status with it, for example, or do you have a very large ominous clock in the middle of the city that can seem dystopian that has a social aspect? It is just a machine, but it's also more than that. And I think we know it. And this applies significantly across the board accounts, by the way, if you're on uh, YouTube, I'm watching the comments. If you have a comment, no one ever does, which is fine. I'm just letting you know. It's a quiet group today. Michael, I mean, you're usually quite loud.
1: Louds?
0: what do you mean <laughs> yeah, no usually usually everyone's talking it's a quiet group today, which is fine. I'm just trying to eke out because this this stuff can be challenging and it took it took me a few bits to get through this the first time I went through it, little than the last time we did this reading, uh, which I think we got through this like nine months ago um and there's a lot of very specific sort of parts of this as we're talking the the ways that Flows are coded and decoded. The ways that we might consider a social machine or a technical machine and oppose them or think of how they intertwine. There's a lot of amazing nuance and complexity in here that could easily be broken down but also is easily misunderstood. So please, don't uh, don't hesitate asking questions. That's the whole point we're here. It also is easier to understand than, say, chapter 2-7 or 2-8, just, like I was re-editing it the other night, it just hurt my brain, I'd like to even re-listen to parts of it, so it's, some of it's tough. This one's more, but just want to make sure you guys are good. I'll continue to the next paragraph, though. Meyerforts makes a passing remark that is joyous and refreshingly sound. The circulation of women is not the problem. A woman circulates of herself she is not at one's disposal but the juridical rights governing progeniture are determined for the profit of a specific person End quote. we see no reason in fact for accepting the postulate that underlines underlies exchangeist notions of society society is not first of all a milieu for exchange where the essential would be to circulate or to cause to circulate but rather a socius of inscription where the essential thing is to mark and to be marked There is circulation only if inscription requires or permits it. The method of the primitive territorial machine is in this sense the collective investment of the organs for flows are coded only to the extent that the organs capable respectively of producing and breaking them are themselves encircled, instituted as partial objects, distributed on the socius and attached to it. A mask is such an institution of organs Initiation societies compose the pieces of a body, which are, not, which are at the same time, sensory organs, anatomical parts, and joints. Prohibitions, see not, speak not, apply to those who, in a given state or on a given occasion, are deprived of the right to enjoy a collectively invested organ. The mythologies sing of organs' partial objects and their relations with a full body that repels or attracts them. Vaginas riveted on the woman's body, an immense penis shared by men, an independent anus that assigns itself a body without anus. A gourma story begins. When the mouth was dead, the other parts of the body were consulted to see which of them would take charge of the burial. The unities in question are never found in persons, but rather in series, which determine the connections, disjunctions, and conjunctions of organs. That is why fantasies are group fantasies it is the collective investment of the organs that plugs desire into the socius and assembles social production and desiring production into a whole on the earth
2: so so the part about marking was the second synthesis right
0: the second synthesis is recording yes
2: yeah i mean that's just super interesting um so you know what's what's doing you know what is the mark Because some people say certain things, but what is it for Deleuze and Guadri?
0: Well, so, I mean, they're going to be going through that through most of chapter three because that mark changes over time, and it shifts uh, how we utilize it, what utilizes it, and how it operates at almost a technical level. Um, Here, they're talking about very specifically in primitive societies, and they'll use that term often. I'm just going to just use it. Sorry if it's Shitty as a term. It's just the, the one that they've used. Um, they're talking here specifically, essentially about like a narco-communist, or primitive communist uh, peoples is kind of the idea when they when they're talking about these uh, the, the the primitive man, the tribal, the primitive territorial machine, this almost caveman level. How did we how did we survive? How do these tribes tribes survive? How do they think about each other? And when they talk about marking here. Uh, very sp- specifically to me, uh, they are talking about the ways that it's marked, uh, in society that we have a debt. They'll be getting into all of this, uh, at, at a deep level, but the, the mark changes over time from being, uh, as they say here, uh, uh one sec, I want to get it right. I want to get it right. Um, uh, the, the change here is, society is not a milieu for exchange, where the essential would be to circulate and to cause to circulate, but rather a socius of inscription, where the essential thing is to mark and to be marked. The idea of exchange being the base for society, I think, is where they're taking sort of task with, because exchange, exchangeism isn't necessarily it. Uh, I have to assume that they're making mention here of the accursed share from Bataille as well. Uh, which our Bataille group is currently reading uh, Erotism, but uh, our friends at Asset Horizon did a wonderful read and sort of breakdown on uh, you know, Bataille's uh, accursed share and uh, the way that you know things operate more as a debt and as an ex- excess and as marking, and uh, Bataille goes deep into that. These are just the connections I know of in my brain. Sorry, Ken.
2: No, you're good. Uh, I don't expect any answers. Um... I mean, so, so it can't be exchangist in so far as we're talking about libido, right? Um, because, uh, the, the death drive is, is the eruption in eros that causes it to pulsate and repeat. Um, so, so it's, it's much more about these connections as they were saying before that um that uh, a, a woman circulates of herself i think is the point there so insofar as we're talking about libido here and desires they explicate it yeah it, i mean it makes sense why they would critique exchanges notions That's yeah how it works
0: no for sure and uh, and it's as they start getting into this, I mean, I'm trying trying to do what I can without jumping too far ahead, but you know, hear what they're talking about when they say that um, it's it, the essential thing is to be marked and be mar- and to mark and be marked inside of this sort of pre-cast, pre-class form of social, you know, setup. A lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, in that specific the territory, pre uh, the primitive territorial socius. Uh, there isn't a uh, economy uh, as we know it, a, a system of money and things like that, or sort of a larger setup or organization. They're specifically only organized by the marks, by the the socius of inscription. That is how they know what to do and how they sort of organize themselves. It's got to be harsh and it's got to be very particular because they don't have a larger thing that they're doing. They don't have a larger person, uh, for example, the despot which we will come to learn about. They don't have a larger economy, which for us is capital. Uh, They just have the shit they need to do and because of that all their stuff is like crazy exacting specific. All the things that they need is like, we need X we need Y and you're going to fucking do it. They don't phrase it like that. Instead they talk about the marks that you have, the debts you have, and the way you're set up. But it's why they have caste systems as an example it's why they have uh, you know the the feasts it's why they have the the rituals that they have uh, and this sort of extreme hierarchies is the need to have these things the the flows so deeply and and specifically coded uh, and it's the as they say the method of primitive territorial machine is in the sense the collective investment of organs the the collective investment of organs, and that means everyone here where we end this, we would all be collectively invested in this. The flows are coded only to the extent that the organs capable respectively of producing and breaking them are themselves encircled by other organs, instituted as partial objects, distributed on the socius and attached to it. All of us have to be so deeply invested in what is happening. It's necessary because again, it has to be very particularly set up Uh, they use the mask as an example initiation societies compose the pieces of a body which are at the same time sensory organs anatomical parts and joints prohibitions see not speak not apply to those who in a given state or on a given occasion are deprived of the right to enjoy a collectively invested organ the the idea of the priest or the homo sacer or whatever that may be the prohibitions are set out very much about direct desire, direct desire connecting to the socius and back. And it's this very tight system that the entire thing needed. And that's the, the Gorma story that begins that I always smile about. Um, when the mouth was dead, the other parts of the body were consulted to see which of them would take charge of the burial. The That's the tightness of the people. And it has to be that case. Because again, their organization, their organization it, it doesn't come from above at all. It is in what they're doing and in coding those desires very cleanly. Uh,
2: there, I mean, there's gotta be a place for surplus in here, right? Like I, I get your point that it's, that it's like what you're saying, but there is a surplus working here somehow.
0: Well, that's we'll get into that. Uh, there is, but it's not working here. That's in rituals. Specifically in rituals and the recording process itself almost becomes the surplus, the uh, potlatch nature of things, or the having a giant feast being that release valve that lets off the pressure of that surplus. Um, the, the primitive societies have avenues to eliminate surplus, sacrifices to the gods, whatever it may be. Uh, there's a ton of stuff that happens there. But again, through a tightly controlled set of rules, that isn't, uh, again, like the despot or like in Capital, being done for something that is hundreds of miles away. You're talking about the people I am directly connected to inside of my social machine. Our organs are all part of the same mishmash. Uh, my, my, my intestines, my mouth are not drastically separated from yours, for example, as they are under Capital and they're mediated through all these other, It's it, Boom, right there. We're there. And so there's there's ways that like we let go of surplus, but um, it it operates in a different sort of nature. It's a says, given the kind of evolutionary development of societies out of contingencies, compounding contingencies, these functions are never understood from a purely technical view. Yes. As in myths and cults are formed and serve functions without a manual lying around anywhere describing their function. Yes. Well, I mean, that's, I think, a, a significant amount of what they're getting towards, uh, at least now uh, during this, is that these are, I don't want to say unspoken rules, but they're assumed rules and part of the larger scale social machine. And so the functions of it don't get to be written down. It, It's one of the really interesting things they get on as they start talking about sort of the despot and then they move into capital is that. Uh, There is, you can't write down how all of these things work because it almost breaks the rules itself for how the thing works. Uh, But especially in the primitive, because again, it's intended to be sort of this, uh, you know, I'm doing it because I'm deeply connected and I'm part of the world. If you needed to explain to me why I had to do it, I've already fucked up. And that itself would almost be a faux pas. Like you wouldn't have to. Um, The example they use later is, a hunter would never consider uh, in these these types of things, a hunter would never consider killing and eating the deer that he's gone out to hunt. He'd bring it back to the group. And that's not because he wouldn't want to be seen as uh, oh, I, oh, I'm just stealing. But it's because that's not how it works. It's not how these things happen. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of a Lovecraftian vibe in it for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's fair. And then the last part here, that's also important to sort of nail out is the final two or three sentences. Uh, The unities in question are never found in persons, but rather in series, which determine the connections, disjunction and conjunction of organs. That is why fantasies are group fantasies. It is the collective investment of the organs that plugs desire into the socius and assembles social production and desiring production into a whole on the earth. (sighs) A lot there, but that's kind of the the generation of the socius, of that secondary regime for the whole thing, of the social, of it all. Love that set of sentences. I mean, the
2: the contingency in the series thing is interesting. Because, like, it's never a completely closed system. It's always subject to something interrupting what's going on. Uh, Not to say that the system doesn't have rules for it, like spontaneously or something. But this this would be like, you know, a um like seeing like a, a white bear or something. Or like like having um a uh what do you fucking call it? An eclipse happen or something. Right? And then that ends up connecting with all sorts of things and then that does things and rituals are made or whatnot. Which sort of interrupt what's going on. But you have you have points in place to deal with something like that, right so like your 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 uh, whatever all connects to the the medicine man or something like that or to the the oracles and whatnot
0: yeah well and and we will get more into how coding functions in all of this one of the uh sort of concepts to just be aware of as we're going through is that they're not only moving away from an exchangeist model where uh, I freely give you a thing in exchange for a thing of equivalent value, thank you very much, and that's what society is made on, but uh, running that through excess, which is Bataille, and then coming out the other side with debt being the actual thing that is the driving sort of uh, essence of social machines, that debt is sort of the underlying part. And that's a whole lot to say in a sentence. I know we'll get through it. It's There's a big chapter coming up that's very much dedicated to that so don't worry about it we'll get there but it's a big journey a lot of journeys our modern societies have instead undertaken a vast privatization of the organs which corresponds to the decoding of flows that have become abstract the first organ to suffer privatization removal from the social field was the anus It was the anus that offered itself as a model for privatization at the same time as money came to express the flow's new state of abstraction. Hence the relative truth of psychoanalytic remarks concerning the anal nature of monetary economy. But the logical order is the following. The substitution of abstract quantity for coded flows, the resulting collective disinvestment of the organs on the model of the anus the constitution of private persons as individual centers of organs and functions derived from the abstract quantity one is even compelled to say that well in our societies the penis has occupied the position of a detached object distributing lack to the persons of both sexes and organizing the edible triangle it is the anus that in this matter detaches it it is the anus that removes and sublimates the penis in a kind of offenbung that will constitute the phallus. Sublimation is profoundly linked to anality, but this is not to say that the latter furnishes a material to be sublimated for want of another use. Anality does not represent a lower requiring conversion to a higher. It is the anus itself that ascends on high under the conditions, which we must analyze, of its removal from the field, conditions that do not presuppose sublimation since on the contrary, sublimation results from them. It is not the anal that presents itself for a sublimation. It is sublimation in its entirety that is anal. Moreover, the simplest critique of sublimation is the fact that it does not by any means rescue us from the shit. Only the mind is capable of shitting. Anality is all the greater once the anus is disinvested. The libido is indeed the essence of desire, but when the libido becomes abstract quantity, the elevated and disinvested anus produces the global persons and the specific egos that serve this same quality quantity as units of measure. Artaud expresses it well. This dead rat's ass suspended from the ceiling of the sky, whence issues the daddy-mommy-me triangle, the uterine mother-father of a frantic anality, whose child is only an angle, This kind of covering eternally, hanging on something that is the self. Uh, Ken?
2: (laughs) Well, I'm just wondering how, so I get it up until they start talking about how the, 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 I don't know, disinvestment of the anus leads to global persons. Like I, t- I totally understand what they're saying up until. So the, I mean, the, it sounds like they're saying if you cut off cut off flows of desire, you get global persons, and like singular egos.
0: That would flow with what I understand their general saying overall. Um, I re-listened to our reading of this last time, and uh, I don't think we satisfactorily came up with a answer for this whole thing uh there's a lot
3: can we get a little bit of like translation for what the anal means in this passage because i feel like that just i feel like everything else i'm able to kind of grasp a little bit but i i feel like that's just flying right over my head because i guess i don't have like a, a psychoanalytical background
0: that is fair uh give me two seconds unless ken wants to jump in
2: I mean, it's, uh, it is sort of production, right? Um, the, the anus shits, um, and, I mean, originally, in psychoanalysis, it's like the anus produces gifts, um, and then you have to sublimate it or something into, into pooping in, in the toilet and, and not enjoying your creation or being appreciative of it, even though I know lots of people who take pictures of their poop and send it to other people as sort of a gag thing and compare their poops um what <laughs> uh, you, you don't know anyone who does I'm, that?
0: I'm. I'm never ever giving you my phone number
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah like people their poops. so I understand that like it we, we go back and forth between literally meaning anus and like meaning anus as an analogy to other things um but when it says like the first organ to a privatization removal from the social field was the anus, can, can like, and I know he's he's being direct here, but like, can we get like a little bit more tangible something of of that? Like, we didn't literally privatize anuses, did we?
0: My, I'm I'm thinking that he's talking here that they're talking here specifically about, um, let's call it human experience. Not necessarily the thing we did is like in a society or maybe maybe he means humans because it's one the, the anal stage and the nature of the anus inside of like psychoanalysis uh is when a child moves from learning to control his mouth because a baby when they're born they shit wherever they shit there's a reason we have diapers as a thing and during that stage the baby's learning to control its mouth they feed with mommy drink from a bottle uh make noises coo the right volume like there's a lot of oral control that happens with that the switch happens around age two to three when the child begins focusing on the anal stage, which is what it's called. The anal stage is when you start uh, learning to flex your butthole. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Like that's what it is. It's learning when to shit and how to control when you poop. Uh, That ability to sort of hold that on and to do that changes like how you as a person realize that you have multiple forms of, I would almost say mastery uh, and enjoyment for like having gratification in general. This adds the anal enjoyment as a thing. And there's a lot of things that come off of this sort of in general. Um, So when we talk about like the privatization, uh, I think here he doesn't necessarily mean like the exploitation of it for capital. um, But the removal from the social field, I think, makes sense because... Poop isn't a thing. Like, despite Ken's weird friends who send pictures of shit to each other, the fucking um, uh, it's I, I assume they're all in psychoanalytic circles, so this that makes sense uh, honestly. Um, the we don't we don't do that. Like everything else, like kind of works. Like everything else is fairly like you know it's a social field all the way from like fucking your dick, your vagina, everything, like, fucking or whatever. This is part of a social field. Poop isn't, as shitting isn't, buttholes aren't. That's uh, the first thing that was privatized was the anus. It was the anus that offered itself as a model for privatization. At the same time, money came to express the flow's new state of abstraction. It happened sort of in that same time. Uh, the relative truth of psychoanalytic remarks concerning the anal nature of monetary economy, which I think is a cheeky comment. Um, I know they mean the transcendent anus. That's, I'm trying to get there. It's a, it's a whole thing. Um, but it's a to them I think that's more what they're referencing is sort of the way that the anus uh, being the first part that we have to sort of remove and not have as part of our setup then becomes a sort of floating anus (laughs) from OJOT uh, what the schizoid position opposes to bad partial objects introjected and projected toxic and excremental oral and anal it's not a good object even if it were partial. What is opposed is rather an organism without parts, a body without organs, with neither mouth nor anus, having given up all introduction and projection and being complete at this price. That's actually from Logic of Sense. Well, we're going to be reading that soon. That's wild that that's from Logic of Sense. That's great. Thank you. Well, our other reading should go faster, I guess. Um, floating solar anus maybe yeah um but it's a detached anus that's the joke they're making here um and the sort of commentary it's not the anal that presents itself for sublimation as that sort of larger thing like the phallus uh it's sublimation in its entirety the the nature of sublimation is the same as shitting doesn't rescue us from the shit only the mind is capable of shitting jesus christ there's a lot here i don't necessarily understand this paragraph that well uh the whole anal psychoanalytic shit is not my bag as well as uh, other stuff so wish i could help more
2: well it, uh, i mean i feel like we're doing an okay job maybe i'm just optimistic um so we we um jack pointed out it's the first paralogism as the transcendent anus and that makes sense with the, the giant anus in the sky um uh we talked about anality in this situation as as uh being able to control flows to a certain extent um i'm satisfied um sublimation being anal um is an interesting point um See, I mean, that's sort of what Freudian psychoanalysis and even Lacan end up leaning into, uh, what to do with the excess is to sublimate it, um, but, you know, whether you can actually sublimate something or not, um, uh, it seems contentious to me, like, like whether, uh, you know, it's actually just a, another form of uh, repression, or something like that.
0: Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Sublimation, in general, is uh, the act of turning a thing or energy into, let's say, socially acceptable or normative uh, uh, actions. Uh, versus, yeah. Yeah. Just, I'm just making sure because then, then, but again, I would just say that there's got to be a little bit of a wry smile as they write this because the idea of anality itself being sublime is pretty fantastic given that, like, that is not how it was viewed at all by any of these people. So, um I mean, it, like, anal sex itself was seen as perverse by literally most of these people. And they said some awful things about, you know, homosexuals and stuff prior to this. So, um And it's got to be there's got to be a wry smile in there as they write this. It it feels like it.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, the whole thing is it seems to be uh, comedy. Um, Which is, you know, super helpful if I can get the joke.
0: Yeah, someday we'll understand their sense of humor. They're just uh, they're just galaxy brain next level sometimes. It is not the anal that presents itself for sublimation, it is sublimation in its entirety that is anal. So, that,
2: that, so that's that's the difference though. It's not like it's not like I'm creating it's not like Bacon created his art because what he really wanted to do was some extra perverse thing. Um Uh, it's not it wasn't like a coping I mean I guess in a way I don't think that would be the primary thing here I think it it was a productive force sort of unto itself it wasn't like his art was him coping with repressed trauma even though maybe he might have seen it that in some ways oh wait so
0: Um, okay so wait so then they're they're outlining here how. Okay, I'm gonna reread a sentence that I think in here. Uh, the order of all of this is the following: first, we have the substitution of abstract quantity for the coded flows. Uh, second, the resulting collective disinvestment of the organs on the model of the anus, the disinvestment of the anus that a child goes through. The constitution of private persons as individual centers of organs and functions derived from the abstract quantity these are the three elements of the vast privatization of the organs and they happen in that as they say the logical order the st- the stances the first part uh, we go through substitution of abstract quantity for the coded flows is we have our coded flows but then we figure out uh, some level of abstract quantity to apply to them to represent them as uh, ten dollars whatever. The resulting collective disinvestment of the organs on the model of the anus. uh, The disinvestment with the anus being the example, we have to suppress our desire to continue to enjoy our asshole. And we learn that through the anal stage and we disinvest properly. We must do that with all of our desiring machines, all of our organs. And then the third step uh, is uh, the constitution of private persons as individual centers of organs and functions derived from that abstract quantity. Uh, The abstract quantity of uh, who I am, what I've done, the things I have, I'm a white man or whatever, the abstract quantity being the thing that then comes out of and denotes me as an individual, as a center of an organ through that. This is the nature of how the monetary economy exists as an anal center. Interesting. Okay, that actually works a lot. That flows the rest of the paragraph nicely. That's great. Jesus, okay. One is even compelled to say that Well, in our societies the penis has occupied the position of detached object, distributing lack, it is the anus that in this matter detaches it. It is the anus that removes and sublimates the penis and that will constitute the phallus. The removal of energies that are not socially acceptable is is the analogy of privatization and the analogy of the market. That's actually kind of interesting to turn that back on itself. All right. Any last questions on this paragraph? I do want to get moving. Uh, I hope my little ramble made sense at least.
2: It did, and it makes me... It helps me understand their treatment of the signifier better.
0: It seems to really fit actually make a few things click for me. We we should discuss it a little bit later too, Ken, because this is this one we did not have any understanding last time, so I'm glad we're getting somewhere on this too. But the next paragraph is more anal, so let's do it. The whole organ the I'm sorry, the whole of Oedipus is anal and implies an individual overinvestment of the organ to compensate for its collective disinvestment. That is why the commentators most favorable to the universality of Oedipus recognize nonetheless that one does not encounter in primitive societies any of the mechanisms or any of the attitudes that make it a reality in our society. No superego, no guilt, no identification of a specific ego with global persons, but group identifications that are always partial, following the compact, aglinated series of ancestors and the fragmented series of companions and cousins. No anality, although, or rather because, there is a collectively invested anus. What remains then for the making of Oedipus? A structure, that is to say, an unrealized potentiality? Are we to believe that a universal Oedipus haunts all societies, but exactly as capitalism haunts them? That is to say, as the nightmare and the anxious foreboding of what might result from the decoding of flows and the collective disinvestment of organs, the becoming abstract of the flows of desire, and the becoming private of the organs. I do want to read the footnote there. Uh, what remains for the making of Oedipus? Footnote. Uh, from Paul Perrin, uh, the pre-object relations with the mothers pass over and are divided into relations of identification with the group of companions of the same age. The conflict with the fathers finds itself neutralized in relations of identification with the group of older brothers. Similar analysis and results in M.C. and Edmund Ortigues, *Édipe uh, Africaine, uh, but these authors indulge in a strange gymnastics to maintain the existence of an Oedipal problem or complex, despite all the reasons they advance to the contrary, and although they say this complex is not clinically accessible. Uh, this is their first beginning, and again as I said, they've been going after Oedipus quite a bit, and that especially the fact is Oedipus is determinant, which they don't agree with, that this is the human condition. And their critique through this paragraph, as it's been building up, is, well actually, Oedipus by nature is anal. It's a thing that uh, we have sort of grown to do, if you go back to uh, these older societies sure we have some people who have written about how everything is Oedipalized but they've really had to force it and they've really had to do a lot of work to make it really come out and maybe even then it doesn't really work instead we should consider the way that these groups work, the way that these things operate it is it is gross, uh, boastgird, but it's, it's a thing that happens because we're human and our own assumptions of how society operates and our own sort of cognitive bias of our own beliefs is going to come in. Uh, we don't understand the cliches we believe in is the way it works. If the, They wouldn't be cliches if we didn't, you know, if we saw them, they, they stopped becoming cliches pretty fast. Any questions, comments on this uh, paragraph? The primitive territorial machine codes flows invests organs and marks bodies to such a degree that circulating exchanging is a secondary activity in comparison with the task that sums up all the others marking bodies which are the earth's products the essence of the recording inscribing socius insofar as it lays claim to the productive forces and distributes the agents of production resides in these operations tattooing excising incising, carving, scarifying, mutilating, encircling, and initiating. Nietzsche thus defined the morality of mores, the labor performed by man upon himself during the greater part of the existence of the human race, his entire prehistoric labor. A system of evaluations, possessing the force of law concerning the various members and parts of the body. Not only is the criminal deprived of organs, according to a regime of collective investments, not only is the one who has to be eaten eaten according to social rules as exact as those followed in carving up and apportioning a steer but the man who enjoys the full exercise of his rights and duties has his whole body marked under a regime that consigns his organs and their exercise to the collectivity the privatization of the organs will only begin with the shame felt by the man at the sight of man for it is a founding act that the organs be hewn into the socius, and that the flows run over its surface, through which man ceases to be a biological organism, and becomes a full body, an earth to which his organs become attached, where they are attracted, repelled, miraculated, following the requirements of a socius. Nietzsche says, It is a matter of creating a memory for man, and man who has who was constituted by means of an active faculty of forgetting by means of a repressive a repression of biological memory must create an other memory one that is collective a memory of words and no longer a memory of things a memory of signs and no longer of effects this organization which traces its signs directly on the body constitutes a system of cruelty a terrible alphabet Perhaps, indeed, there was nothing more fearful and uncanny in the whole prehistory of man than his pneumotechnics. Man could never do without blood, torture, and sacrifices when he felt the need to create a memory for himself, the most dreadful sacrifices and pledges, the most repulsive mutilations, the cruelest rites of all the religious cults. One has only to look at our former codes of punishments to understand what effort it costs on this earth to breed a nation of thinkers." When we talk about the body without organs and the recording on the surface of it, um, the phrasing uh, here should take on a slightly different uh, affect, uh, emotion. Here we're talking about, quite literally, uh, carving on the body. Um, The idea being not that uh, I'm able to maintain my debt or understand my place in society due to, you know, my job, uh, the house I live in, the money that I've got, the checks that I can cash, my business card, all of these things that we have now through written word that allow us to have memories or have proof of a thing or to know this is the way to be as a society, not a thing that existed. Instead, they needed to make sure people remembered the way that they needed to behave the way that they had to be for society to operate properly. Um, If you've ever watched any of those uh, wonderful documentaries on on tribes as we find them now and the uh, taboo practices that a lot of them have when it comes to scarification or how they have their rituals as a a young man or woman gets older and the horrific horrific shit that they do, uh, we see it as horrific uh and I mean, it is um but how do you, as a society and as a group, know who owes what and who knows who has already learned uh Someone who turns the right age and you carve literally into his body that of the warrior uh marks on him that show that he is part of your tribe well uh he'll he'll never forget that <laughs> not a thing you forget. Uh, and not a thing that leaves you because the scars don't go away. Um, how do you re- how do you make recordings happen? It's a real question. It's I, it's an amazing way to think through it. And uh, Nietzsche goes deep into it, but so does uh, Bataille, and so do they here. The way that we have uh, the investments recorded and sort of forced memory for man and man who is constituted by means of an active faculty of forgetting. By means of a repression of biological memory, must create another memory, one that is collective, a memory of words and no longer a memory of things, a memory of signs and no longer effects. The not thinking about, am I part of what tribe and the ideas, but knowing, yep, right there, this tribe, the words, the collective, one that everyone takes a part of. Uh-huh. It is like that Bosker reminds me of the society at the end of Fahrenheit 451 that commits people to their group by obliging them to completely commit to memory the words of a book. Yes, now imagine if it was that we literally carved the words of the book all over their body. I think they'd remember the words. And they'd remember doing it too. I'll read, uh, Ken, do you mind if I read that, Ken, or do you want to?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, go. Uh, who is it from, by the way?
2: Oh, snap. I forgot his name one second. Uh, uh, Schuster. Aaron Schuster.
0: All right. Habit provides the foundation of the pleasure principle in the primordial enjoyment of all the many egos. The ebb and flow of psychic life is, in the first instance, sustained by a self enjoyment which comes before any loss or frustration and expresses all the powers that make up the organism. Memory concerns not the foundation, but the application of the pleasure principle, how it effectively governs over or steers the various currents of the mind. This takes place via a doubling of the psyche. On the basis of active syntheses, the mind is oriented towards a teleologically ordered world, the reality principle, surveyed from the viewpoint of the global ego. But at the same time, a deepening of the passive synthesis pulls the psyche out of this reality and disturbs its order by introducing a new virtual focus, the perspectives of the partial drives. The last stage of the synthesis renders this groundlessness of memory or eros explicit, and thus is actually a culminating moment of antisynthesis. This is the power of Thanatos, or the death instinct, and the violent confusion and disorientation it entails is the reason for the greatest upheaval in the operation of the pleasure principle, while equally serving as its highest condition. This anti-synthetic moment is also what Deleuze designates as the future. Unlike the present of habit and the past of memory, which synthesize all three dimensions of time from their unique vantage points, the future is not a third and final way of bringing together past, present, and future but rather the pure and empty form of time as such. The final and most accomplished expression of time is a straight line. This line, however, is not one of linear progression, but rather of division and interruption. And Deleuze cites Borge's idea of the most treacherous labyrinth, which is nothing other than a single line, invisible and unceasing. The future is precisely that which destroys any idea of progress, evolution or continuity, or rhyme, of rhyme between before and after time is its purest and its purest is cut i really like that
2: yeah it it answered for me how we get to global persons
0: no very much well and why we don't necessarily have them in the same way here in the in the primitive socius because again they're the way that they're operating, the way that their organs are invested in everything. and They don't operate in the same way uh, because they don't have the sort of secondary nature of the economy, effectively. But they have the, uh, they have the scars. Uh, I'll read the last paragraph here. Uh, Cruelty has nothing to do with some ill-defined or natural violent that might be commissioned to explain the history of mankind Cruelty is the movement of culture that is realized in bodies and inscribed on them, belaboring them. That is what cruelty means. This this culture is not the movement of ideology. On the contrary, it forcibly injects production into desire. And conversely, it forcibly inserts desire into social production and reproduction. For even death, punishment, and torture are desired and are instances of production, compared to the history of fatalism. It makes men, or their organs, into the parts and wheels of the social machine. The sign is a position of desire, but the first signs are the territorial signs that plant their flags in bodies. And if one wants to call this inscription in naked flesh writing, then it must be said that speech, in fact, presupposes writing. And that it is this cruel system of inscribed signs that renders man capable of language and gives him a memory of the spoken word.
2: So that's what I was getting to—the the anus phallus thing. It sounds like they're saying desiring machines create signs or signifiers, but but they would be they would be like not necessarily meaningless, but. I mean maybe this is where we would put in the the phrase a signifying signs.
0: I, I mean if, if if we're going to like the the Yelm-Slevy Yelmslev, uh style signs where we're talking about uh the the word or the utterance and the content the content versus the expression within a sign I'd be very inclined to say yes I think that's what we're talking about here. Um
2: yeah, so, so, are, so then that leads me to think that those are the marks, that, that that's what's tattooing.
0: Yes. Well, and, and I think that's, um, so, so to say another way, uh, as I make the inscriptions literally in the body and I, I carve out the different shapes through scarification or whatever horrifying process that people go through, uh, those sensations and things are recorded those sensations I am associating with, in this case, the written word or the scar, but these things then have meaning on my BWO. I would say yes to all of that. This is generating meaning and signs. Yes. I wouldn't even say necessarily floating. It's straight uh, sensation, partial object, and here partial object being pain or the shape of the pain and all the aspects of it generating the sensation they're generating. That shit's going to be encoded for sure in the, in the second syntheses. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it does. But then that makes me wonder what the sensation of the, the phallus as a, you know, as a transcendental signifier would be.
0: I don't think they have one. Explain again. Sorry.
2: So we're out of language, right? As uh, what Lacan would understand it, like that's not what's working here. What's working yes, here yes. are like in- intensities. Um, uh, but they don't seem to say that the that the phallus doesn't exist per se, uh, but but it's produced by the anus or whatever or desiring machines, um, and so and so then what would be the intensity of the you know the castrating law right would that be like something you know, once again, I, I'm, it's masks under masks under masks because any time I try to signify it, I end up fucking it up. But it would be something like, like embarrassment or maybe cruelty.
0: I I think cruelty would be the way, I mean, they're going to get a lot more deep into it, especially when they start going into the eye. Where The next uh, section is on the primitive territorial machine, and it is I mean, we're talking about cruelty, the gaze, and all of that that goes with it, so Yes, I would say they're going to go deep into cruelty. Kind of not wanting to get super ahead, but yes, I would say yes, Ken. It's a lot. Any questions, comments? Uh, Ojan, this passage has a Kafka-ish sense to it. Uh, Like penal colony, the body is inscribed by an abstract machine. Yes. Uh, I think actually they even make reference to penal colony like three or four times uh, as we get further on in the book as well. So yes, I would say yes. Cruelty here as well. Um, His definition of it, I think, is important and uh, cruelty is the movement of culture that is realized in bodies and inscribed on them, very crisp and clear. Uh, He wrote an amazing uh, tale of, uh, uh, what was it called? One sec. Uh, uh, Masochism, an interpretation of coldness and cruelty. Um, Wonderful sort of text on how cruelty operates and plays within things. I definitely recommend it. Um, I'll find a way to post it up.
2: Just just real fast, I think like an empirical example of what they're talking about are the parts of the body that can be hypersensitized that either have no nerve endings or very little. And, and vice versa. Parts of the body that, that have lots of nerve endings can be desensitized. And this happens through something like what they're
0: talking about this inscription. Well, and it's the inscription again is the as you exist in these societies, you have the thing you want right in front of you. This is not a capitalist like the primitive territorial machine is not the capitalist socius. You have all the shit you need basically within arm's reach uh, from sex to re- reproduction to food to shelter. Everything is literally right there. And it would be very easy to just take what you need and just do it. Uh, And it's in fact so easy that as they talk about here and they will get into in the primitive territorial machine, uh, these things have to be, you have to remember these rules. They can't be like the rules we have in Calvary. It's like, hey, kinda here's how it works, but eh, maybe for some, I don't know, whatever, take what you can get, maybe you'll get in trouble, which is kind of our legal system. it's much more of, hey, I need you to do these things because we have a society here and I'm going to make sure and how I'm going to make sure you remember it is by literally writing it into your skin. And the the nature of how these flows then get co-opted, as we'll see in the next uh, section, the nature of how these flows work and how they get utilized and changed and modified from pure desire onto being what is needed within the group is such a deep, community investment in all of these things because of the nature of these inscriptions and how they work. And then also here, we start uh, the, the writing here, and I think they will get into it. Um, generally speaking, we're not talking about writing as we know the word writing. It's, it's why they say, if one wants to call this inscription of naked flex writing, it must be said that speech in fact presupposes writing. and It is this cruel system of inscribed signs that renders man capable of language. We're still not at the point yet where this is writing as we know it, or we talk about it when we say the word writing. We're not there. That's not really what's happening. Um, soon, mm. don't worry, we'll get there, but not right now.
3: Yeah. I, um, sorry, I just uh,
0: joined yet. Um, if this point was made already, but to me it really sounds like just uh, the cruelty of, of culture itself that is
1: imposing norms
2: and values on on the body that are not inherent to it in some intensive way but they are exterior to it and inscribe themselves on the body
0: and are a method of uh, pre-political or proto-political control or maybe uh, in a more
1: contemporary understanding of managing these desires and flows
0: Uh, it hadn't been made and that's uh, completely true it's a the words he uses, cruelty is the movement of culture that is realized in bodies and is scribed on them, belaboring them. That's what cruelty means. Uh, it is not some ill-defined or natural violence. Uh, oh, men were so cruel in the old days. It's like, no, it's, this is just the nature of society imposing its will. Here's how it works. And they had to impose their will in a certain way, and it it was effective, we'll say. Definitely made people remember not to do certain things or how to uh, sort of obey the societal norms. Uh, But they'll they'll get into all of this again uh, as we come up, especially the nature of writing and written word versus speech and uh, the asignifying nature of kind of the entire experience, to your point, Ken. Uh, They will get deeply into that in the next uh, section. So uh, with that, I will ask if there's any final questions or comments on this. Oh, that was fast. Fast. I love short intro because the next one I think is like going to take us six years. So it's a good, quick one. Makes me happy. Any comments, questions, anything going on? Let me know. As I always say, thank you all for joining us. Um, it, it's a highlight of my week, even though I've now read this book uh, every single day for over a year, every single week for over a year, I've done a, a reading. Uh, it's still the highlight of my fucking week every every time. So uh, thank you all for joining. I hope to see you next week. Please join us as in all of our chats and all of our discussions as we sort of start ramping up. We have a shitload of other talks going on. Uh, if you can interact with us and join us, we are happy to have you. We, we love it. We love it. We love all you. So, Thank you so much. We'll talk to you all very soon.